realize that I am not going to come up with anything new. <laughs> I am going to remind you and present what the Word of God says. And a lot of times, it's reminding you of things that you have already heard. But I think that's okay. I think sometimes we get so distracted that we need to be reminded of the very words of Christ or the words of the epistle or uh, to see the early church in the book of Acts and how they uh, operated to bring the gospel to the world that they lived in at that time, that we can be reminded of these things that we might be better followers of Jesus Christ. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today, here in Romans chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 33. I entitled this passage, An Acceptable and Sanctified Offering. And today we're going to seek Paul's confidence in verses 14 through 16, Paul's aim, verses 17 through 21, and Paul's future plans, verses 22 through 33. I'll go ahead and read verses 14 through 16 for us, our first point, and open us up in prayer. Romans 15, verse 14 says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive from your word here this morning, and I pray, Father, as we uh, hear a bit about Paul's ministry here in Romans 15, and even about Paul's plans that he had for future ministry, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our own lives, our walk, our relationship with you, the ministry that you have given us, that we might also desire to make plans and to prepare to present the gospel to others, that they might hear the testimony of Jesus Christ and believe. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul wrote to the church there in Rome that he had this confidence 
He had this confidence concerning them in verse 14, saying that they also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. His intent was not to be a letter of reprimand to the church of Rome, a church that he had never personally met. He'd never been there yet, but he wrote to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith. And Paul had this confidence, three things specifically that he laid out. First of all, that they were full of goodness. And in Romans 2.4, Paul had previously written that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to lead others to God by the good that we do. They're full of goodness. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, it's good to do good, to lend a hand, to help, to aid someone when they have a need or a community or within the fellowship or even strangers that we do not know. When we have opportunity to serve one another, whether serving in our community or serving within the fellowship, it's good to have these good works, but not that we should be able to boast because of them, but that God the Father might be glorified because of the works that we do. Jesus said, let your light so shine that they see your works and glorify your Father in heaven, that they connect the good works that we do and strive to do as being part of the body of Christ, that there is a connection there. So it's good to serve one another. And Paul had this assurance that the church in Rome, that they were doing good works, that they were serving one another. He also had this assurance that they were filled with all knowledge. And this is not saying that he thought that the church and the believers in Rome were a bunch of know-it-alls. We know that we really don't care for people who think they know everything and want you to know that they know more than you. But the knowledge necessary to have faith in Jesus Christ, the knowledge necessary to continue to grow in our faith, having all knowledge, I believe, is a continual process of learning how we are to conduct ourselves as believers in this life. And it goes with our theme that we have for our church of believe, receive, grow, and go. That third point of growth behind me, you see Second uh, Peter 3.18 that says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And so we are to be growing in our faith. And so I believe that this all knowledge, it's a continual process that we continue to grow in our faith. Not that we are to be know-it-alls, but as we grow in our faith, we're able to use the things that we learn to better share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. They were also able to admonish, and it's a Greek word that means to put to mind, uh, to warn, or to exhort. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.16, he said to them, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So one of the ways that we can admonish one another 
is through psalms, through hymns, through spiritual songs, through singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. It's a good way that we can admonish one another, but there's a difference. We see in Colossians 3.16, Paul used the words both teaching and admonishing. Teaching has the sense of giving instruction to someone. To admonish someone really means that we are warning about something that they're doing wrong. And so to admonish one another actually speaks about bringing correction to the body of Christ, within the body of Christ. And, and that can be a little more frightening for us at times. Maybe we have to go into those situations a little more prayerful, but I think it's a necessary thing within the church that we are to be full of goodness, that we're also to be filled with knowledge, a continual process of learning how we might serve the Lord, but also able to admonish one another, not just teach, but to admonish one another that we can encourage each other as we continue to journey in this life of faith. He also said that they had presented an acceptable and sanctified offering. Actually, he said this about his offering of the Gentiles to the Lord in verses 15 and 16. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 14 and the beginning of chapter 15, Paul had wrote about certain non-essentials of the faith. He had dealt with them about issues concerning the day of the week that we worship or maybe the food or the drink that we consume. And for him, it was an issue of the Messianic Jewish believers who were actually contending against the Gentile believers. And they were some known as Judaizers who were trying to convince the Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised, that they needed to walk in the law, the Mosaic law, in order to truly be saved. And so it dealt with the issues of the food that they consumed, whether it was kosher or unkosher, the drink that they might have, or even the day of the week that they worship. The, no doubt the Judaizers would say that Saturday, the Sabbath, would be the day, the proper day to worship Jesus, while there were others in the church that said, no, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is the right day to worship our Lord. And perhaps Paul, uh, dealing with this, realizing that uh, this was something that was going on in uh, many of the churches during this time, they're in the Church of Rome as well, a dividing that could take place, something that would drive in a wedge of contention. And so Paul said, I've dealt more boldly on some of these issues with you. And like Paul, sometimes doing ministry means that we are to remind others of the truth that they already know. You know, that's one of the things that I found comforting, and maybe you don't, but I do. I found comforting after 20 years of preaching the Word of God in the same pulpit, realize that I am not going to come up with anything new. <laughs> I am going to remind you and present what the Word of God says. And a lot of times, 
it's reminding you of things that you have already heard. But I think that's okay. I think sometimes we get so distracted that we need to be reminded of the very words of Christ or the words of the epistle or uh, to see the early church in the book of Acts and how they uh, operated to bring the gospel to the world that they lived in at that time, that we can be reminded of these things that we might be better followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter had this same idea as well in 2 Peter 1, verses 12 and 13. He said, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Peter said, even though you already know, I think it's my job to remind you of the things that you already know. And as an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul wanted his ministry ultimately to be acceptable and sanctified by God the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he offered his service to the Gentiles as an offering to God. And I think in a similar way, what we do for Jesus in this life, we should view it as our offering to the Lord that our offering might be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Our lives, our service to others should be spiritual offerings unto Jesus. Again, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, he said, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, speaking about Jesus, but chosen by God and precious. And then he says to us, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's willingness to accept the Gentiles show his plan in the church age was actually to unite both Jew and Gentile and one of the biggest battles that they had in the first century church was dealing with the division that came between the Jewish and Gentile believers. But in our life, here in the 21st century, we also should strive to be a church that's full of goodness, a church that has knowledge, not uh, a know-it-all type knowledge, but growing in our faith in Jesus Christ that we're able to admonish one another, that we're able to present acceptable and sanctified offerings unto our Savior Jesus. We find in verses 17 through 21, here we discover Paul's aim, and I'll read the context for us, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all about to Acrylium, I can't say that word, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, 
they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul, sharing his, his aim with them, what he had made his target in his life as a believer in Jesus Christ, as an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul had accomplished many things. And in his mindset at the writing of this epistle to the Romans, he felt that he had pretty much accomplished the work in his three missionary journeys, that he had accomplished the work that the Lord had given him to do, that he had planted churches and that the churches were thriving at this time there in Asia. And in his mind, he's thinking, I need to go elsewhere. Ultimately, we learned that he had a desire to go to Spain to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew that these accomplishments were the result of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in and through his life. And so he was not wanting to boast about his accomplishments, but talking about the success that God had given him. And how did the Lord accomplish these things in Paul's life? Well, first he said it was through word and deed. A word, it's logos in the Greek. It's a word that simply means to speak. And the teachings of the faith that come to us through the spoken word, that through word, through what I taught others, these things were accomplished in me, but also through deed, through our acts, the things that we accomplish, the things that we do as we live out our faith before others, both word and deed. I think James also had this in mind when he wrote in James 2.18 saying, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. St. Francis Assisi was quoted as saying, Preach the gospel at all times, and use words if necessary. Preach the gospel by the life that you live and lead before others. And if you have to, use words, but let them see Christ in you. Colossians 3, 7 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whether speaking, by the words that we say, or by the things that we do, may we do it all in the name of Jesus. May we give thanks to God the Father. But it wasn't just his words, not just his deeds, but also mighty signs and wonders. The mighty signs, it uh, refers to miracles or wonders regarding the signs of divine authority. Uh, the wonders here is a Greek word that speaks about the supernatural work of God. And in the New Testament, we find in the New Testament that often you might read about signs taking place. But if you see the word wonders, it's always combined with signs. It's either signs and wonders or wonders and signs. But these two go together when wonders is being inserted by the author here. These signs and wonders were to show God's approval upon the apostles' message. In Acts 14.3, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. And here, the Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Signs and wonders. This one gets a little more iffy for us in the 21st century church when we talk about signs and wonders. 
uh, we think, perhaps, of some of the things that we read about in the book of Acts, of the mighty signs and wonders that had taken place through the healing of the sick to the raising of the dead. And, and you might think, well, I have never raised anybody back from the dead. And so I can't check off the sign and wonders thing. But again, I had shared that I've been reading this book by Charles Spurgeon talking about the soul winner. And he accredits to every life that comes to faith in Jesus Christ that this is a mighty miracle of God. So sometimes we think about signs and wonders, and I think sometimes we need to well, define what we might be talking about. And I am not opposed to the Lord doing signs and wonders. In fact, I pray for those things, but I also know that the very breath of life that the Lord gives us, and when new life is birthed into someone, what a mighty sign, what a mighty gift that can be to the church today. And also talking about building upon foundations, Paul said his aim in verses 20 and 21 was not to preach the gospel where Christ had been named previously because he didn't want to build upon another person's foundation. But rather, he quoted from, as I shared earlier, he quoted from Isaiah 52, verse 15, saying, To whom he was not announced, they shall see. To those who have not heard shall understand. Sometimes God will give us a verse from the Bible that will give us a course for our lives. I shared with you when we taught through Romans chapter 10, a verse that the Lord gave me, Romans 10, 14, that says, and how they, shall they hear without a preacher? On that Sunday morning back in 1989, I knew the call that God had placed upon my heart. I knew what he wanted me to do. I didn't know how I was going to accomplish that work. And it would take another 10 plus years until I landed here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa as your pastor. But it was a verse and it's still a verse that is dear to me. It changed the course of myself and my family from that day forward. And in a similar way, Paul reveals a verse that supported his missionary work and why he liked to preach the gospel to people who had never heard about Jesus Christ before. And he quoting there from Isaiah 52, supporting his, uh, his mission-supporting verse, we could say, which actually prophetically spoke of Jesus being that sin-bearing servant. As we, during our time of communion, looked at Isaiah 52, 14, just as many were astonished at you, so his vestige was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of men. And Isaiah foretold here of the horrific sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross that startled the world. And here we find both kings, it would uh, shut their mouths over what they would hear. The knowledge of the Messiah of the Jews coming and his life being offered upon the cross, being told to the Gentiles who would come to understand and believe in Jesus as their Savior. And though Paul labored to bring the gospel to those who had never heard it, he also understood that we are all building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. Paul said here in Romans 15, I don't like to build upon another man's foundation. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 
we discover that Paul knew that the foundation that we all build upon is the foundation of Christ Jesus himself. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11 says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that wise builder, laid the foundation of our faith upon which Paul and the other apostles in the first century, upon which the church in the 21st century still must build upon the foundation that Christ himself has laid. And it should be our aim that whether in word or in deed, or if the Lord would grant mighty signs and wonders, that we should build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.